Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovee and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode four of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. I am WKBW Sports Director Matt Bovee, joined, as always, by my co-host, Bill Sideline Reporter from WGR 550, Sal Capaccio, and we are getting to the point of the voluntary off-season workouts where we're now going to put a wrap on that and shift our focus to mandatory minicamp. Sal, we're turning a corner, buddy. We're getting closer and closer to football, and it's about freaking time. Yeah, Matt, you know, you go back to when the season unfortunately ended the way it did in Kansas City, and you think about the long road ahead. You think about all the different things that have to come into play that you have to get to, the draft, the combine before that, off-season workouts, OTAs, everything, right? Free agency. And it's going to be a long wait, and it's going to sit in the back of your head for a while. And for Bills fans, it is, and they can't wait to get to the new season. But then you have all that. You have the uh, schedule release, and everybody gets excited about it. And um, here we are, man. You got one, two days left of OTAs. We're recording this on Tuesday, so everybody knows. So they'll have Thursday and Friday, no media availability, and then mini camp Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week. And then we are there. It's a dead week for like six weeks, dead period. And then they're back at training camp at St. John Fisher. It'll be here before we know it, and we'll all be ready for football again. Yeah, and it's funny because all of the storylines that we talked about in some of the first episodes of the podcast were like, hey, how big of a deal is it that Jordan Poyer isn't there? And he wasn't there for any of voluntary OTAs. Next week, he's got to be there. And if he's not, then it becomes a very real story. We get to see if there's any other surprises that come out. I don't think there really will be. He's probably the only name that we're unsure of if whether or not they're going to be there next week. But Sal, before we completely turn the page, you were just out at practice a little bit ago. So what were some of the things that stood out? You know, one thing that really stood out on the field was last week, we talked about how Marquez Stevenson, the wide receiver, had a bit of the dropsies, right? I mean, he just, um, he struggled a little bit catching the ball. Like one of the first plays I saw, deep ball, Josh Allen puts it on him. Um, he's covered by Kyrie Elam. And actually, just discussing with a few other media around, it basically was like, I don't think any position coach would have had a problem with the way the play played out, even though somebody won and somebody lost because Elam had good coverage. Stevenson caught the ball. Josh put it on him. It's just a good football play, right? That was cool. I was glad for Stevenson to have that bounce back right there. And he may have had a great week last week. He just didn't the day we were out there necessarily. Um Tyler Bass was money. I wrote it down. I think it was five for five. They went from like 33, 38, 43, 48, maybe four for four, whatever. But he was just basically making all his field goals. So um, those things stood out. And then, you know, who's not there? Stefan Diggs 
wasn't out there. Jordan Poyer wasn't out there. Micah Hyde wasn't out there. Von Miller wasn't out there. He had his pass rush summit, obviously, recently. So we know a lot of guys aren't going to be there necessarily, but next week's the week. It's mandatory. And even Brandon Bean told us this morning when we were out there, he did not have any indication that Jordan Poyer wouldn't be at mandatory mini camp. So we'll see where that goes. I got to say, and this is just kind of my read on it. Like after four weeks here, I feel like from being out at practice, the attendance has been very good for the bills. I'm sure they would say that they probably want, not probably, they absolutely want everybody there, but really besides Poyer, Hyde, I mean, Diggs was there about half the time. Von Miller was there about half the time. Josh missed two practices because of the match in Vegas. I mean, besides that, of the notable core players, everybody's pretty much been there at one point or another, besides the safeties. You're right about that. Um, I don't know and can't compare necessarily right now, like with a scorecard to years past, Mm -hmm. but I think there's been a day here. Like there was a day last week. I think we were kind of like, when we were out there last week, we looked like, oh, these guys are missing, but I mean, I think that's around the league, and I think that's kind of normal to have a handful of guys missing. Otherwise, you know, going back to the first round of when they've been here for workouts, it seems like there's been very good attendance, especially by the newer guys, right, including Von Miller, who's been here. And he's a guy making $20 million a year. He's not going, I'm good. I can sit at home and come back, come by when I feel like it. So that's really good. And obviously, they want everybody. They want full attendance. It is voluntary. The one we're going to be watching next week next week is Jordan Poyer to see if he shows up for mandatory mini camp, which starts on Tuesday. One of the guys, and I don't want to put you on the spot too much here, Sal, but one of the guys you were just mentioning was Kyir Elam. And I know Leslie Frazier was actually asked about him today. This is the first time we've heard from Leslie, I actually think since the end of last season. And yeah. he said that they need Elam to be basically ready to go right off the start of the season. It's very early. But in this limited sample size, what have you thought of the first round pick? Yeah, I mean, obviously they're not tackling right now or anything like that. Um, it's hard to get a feel for, you know, how he's covering necessarily. But what I can tell you is he's very fluid as an athlete. He's long. Um, his change of direction is great. I think he kind of fits the scheme of what they want with the traits, knowing all of this that I'm saying to you right now, but what I see from him. But, you know, we don't really have a body of work yet on what he can do against receivers. As I said, he did get beat if you will, by Marquez Stevenson on that pass. It was really good coverage, though. I don't know what else he could have done differently, to be quite honest with you. So, um, you know, I, I think we'll see. Time will tell as they go to mandatory minicamp and then training camp. We'll see in training camp. We'll all be out there. Fans will be out there. They'll have a chance mm-hmm. to see. And he does have to play right away. He's going to have to be ready, even if Tredavious is healthy. Yeah. I think Kyrie Elam is probably the starting corner opposite Tredavious. And if not, that means Dane Jackson beat him out. And maybe we have questions about that and why that is happening. Um, but he's going to have to be ready to play right away. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about what Brandon Bean said later on in the episode, but Brandon Bean was asked about Tredavious White today, and he was asked if they had any sort of update, and he said they don't really have an update, but when they get to training camp, they'll have a better idea if he's days away or weeks away from being out on the field. So I think that's a good sign, at least that they're talking about, there's a chance that this guy's days away, and that's at the start of training camp. Tredavious White is an unbelievable player. I know he's coming off of the injury that he's coming off of. It's not an easy thing necessarily to come back from that said the way that this guy knows how to play and just the athletic ability that he has if he's even on the field at any point during training camp I'm going to be pretty confident that he's ready to go if not right at the beginning of the season very soon into the start of the season and then when you match up with him and Elam you would think you're going to have a pretty stout combination of corners assuming that Trey 
is the player that we've seen him be since he was drafted here. And Elam, he's got the making of somebody who looks like they could be a really strong player. He's big. Sal, we talked, he's a big dude. Like he's bigger than I thought he would be. And it's not like that's been the biggest room these last couple of years. So I think he brings a little size. He brings a little stature. That's going to help them. Yeah. And he's got the football IQ and savvy. His dad played, his uncle played in the NFL. Um, so, you know, he brings with him, I think all of those boxes he checks that the bills are looking for and hard work and ethic. Remember the, the, the little clip they showed from his interview at the combine and mm-hmm. Sean McDermott's reaction about, you know, how much he, how, how detail oriented he was in keeping notes, all those off the field boxes he checks too. So look, he's a rookie and he's going to, there's going to be times where we're probably watching him at training camp and might say, Oh, he gets beat or he struggles a little bit, but I think they'll get him up to speed pretty quickly. They're going to ask him to fit right in. And when it comes to Tredavious white, I keep saying this to people and I want listeners to know this. The bills are not going to give us or the fans any timeline on Tredavious White. Even if they feel he can play next week, they're not going to tell us mm-hmm. that. If they feel he's going to be out two months, they're not going to tell us that. Because the minute they do that, they're putting themselves in a corner that you can't get out of. Because if they say he's ready next week and then he's not, now you have to answer, why is that? Did he have a setback? You don't want to deal with that. If they say he's not going to be ready for two months into the season, that's going to raise questions. Well, wait a minute. That means 10 months after the surgery. How come it's not sooner than that? He will be out there when he's out there. We'll find out. And they're leaving this whole space open to we'll see when it happens and they're not going to put themselves in a corner to telling us exactly when that is. They did say he will be in Buffalo all summer rehabbing though. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see how it plays out, but they're making the right decision by not saying anything because then they don't have to have a timeline strapped to it. And that ultimately benefits them. So we heard from a lot of different people today Heard from Leslie Frazier. We heard from Matt Smiley. We heard from Brandon Bean. Sal, where do you want to start? Which guy? Let's go with Brandon Bean. He was the first up, and it was really the news that came out today, this morning, before we went down to the facility, Matt, and that is um, the Bills made some changes, some hires, and some promotions in their personnel department and football staff. And I think the biggest notable name here and position is Brian Gain has been named the assistant general manager. Brian Gain was with the Bills organization for a couple of years, and then he became the general manager of the Houston Texans. That didn't go so well only because, really, what appears to be an even Brandon Bean said in Houston, <laughs> it was maybe a bit of a power struggle. Yeah. Between he didn't say between him and Bill O'Brien, but that's what it would oh, be. We all know. Bill O'Brien. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So he gets fired essentially. Um, I think he was fired. I don't want to use the wrong term. I don't think he left. I think he was fired. Mm-hmm. There was a power struggle there. He comes back to Buffalo because he had already a knowledge base of the organization, the players. He works his way back up. He was an assistant. And now he's the assistant GM. So yeah. Brandon Bean and the guys that it came down to and Bean said this, Ryan Gain and Terrence Gray, Terrence Gray is phenomenal in what he does and his value to Brandon Bean in the organization. He has moved into the director of player personnel role and he is still going to be a big part of this organization. It's funny because Gain was kind of the first domino to fall before any of the other dominoes fell with the front office group. Right. And then the way it ended up working out is that he was coming back and then Joe Shane ultimately gets the Giants job and then he steps into that role. And if you're listening out there, and I understand, it's the assistant general manager. This is not going to be somebody that gets a ton of headlines. This is not going to be somebody that gets a lot of praise or gets a lot of criticism because much of what they do is kind of off to the side. But over these last couple of years, Joe Shane and Brandon Bean have been 
in lockstep on almost everything that they've done. And Brandon will be one of the first people to tell you how important Joe was to really the entire culture that they rebuilt in Buffalo. So I think Gain is going to be in charge of a lot of things that maybe we're not even privy to. There's a there's a word from your GM's past, the privy <laughs> word, but I think that he is going to play a big role here. It's also nice to see Terrence Gray kind of get that next promotion up, especially if he was a finalist here. We both know Terrence. He's a very nice man. He works very, very hard at what he does. And I think that this is what they want to do. They want to continue to promote from within. I know they interviewed a couple other candidates, but I think if you continue to promote from within, you kind of have a stronger pipeline because if this team continues to have the success that we think they're going to have, guess what? It's not going to be that long until Brian Gain probably gets a GM job. And then maybe Terrence Gray steps into the next role. And then maybe Terrence Gray gets a general manager job. Like You just don't know how it's going to work out. So that's why, for me, I really like the idea of promoting within because I think it kind of gives you options, not just in the short term, but also in the long term. Keeps the train running too, right? That's the whole point of an organization. You're always reloading from what you have. You have I've said this this way before, Matt. The Bills don't just have an organization. They have a program. They have a program that they like to keep, and that's what it is. And you keep replenishing the program with people, and those people move up. They move out. Someone else moves up into their spot, and that's exactly what they're trying to replicate here and to have, and that's what they've built really with them. And and Brandon Bean said you build it over time. You don't do it right away. You come in. You change things. You change a little bit here. You change a little bit there. And by the time you know we're, we're five years in now, you know you really get to this point where you have these excellent people. And yeah, Brian Gaines going to do a nice job because he's also going to be in lockstep with Brandon being the way that Joe Shane was. That's why he chose him for this job. He knows the way that Brandon thinks, what they want. He knows what his role is. Uh, good for him. Good for Terrence Gray. Matt, Mike Zabo has been named the college national scout. Dennis Locke goes to the senior director of football research. Uh, he is part of the analytics department. And then Matt Warswick, their director of team administration. We have seen Matt grow into this role from, well, look, I mean, and, and I'll say this, he's going to still be doing this part of it. Because I asked uh, Brandon Bean about it, but he's been essentially attached to the hip pocket of Sean McDermott for the last five years because he's been the assistant to the head coach. Anything McDermott needs, wants, he helps out the staff. He's been like a liaison to the football, uh, to, from the football department to the administrative and uh, you know, whatever, all those departments. And I, Matt Warswick, good for him. He's To me, he's always been a good soldier, if you will, a guy that always seems like he's doing everything that's asked of him. Absolutely. And then that's funny, too, because that also brings us to the next guy we heard from or one of the next guys that we heard from today. And that's Matt Smiley, who is the new special teams coordinator, who is the same way. He was working under Heath Farwell. He was the assistant guy. He was really in the trenches with the players. And then ultimately, he steps into this next role. He takes over the special teams. So we heard from him, Sal. What stood out from that conversation this morning? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Matt Smiley here and the not only personality he is because he is a personality, mm -hmm. but um, you know, what he had to say about, you know, the, the his coaching ability, or I should say the, the way he's going to coach and his philosophies and things like that. We'll talk about Matthew Smiley here on it's always game day in Buffalo. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, Matt. So Matthew Smiley walks into the media room, and the first thing he does is, well, he first walked into the wrong, through the wrong door. And I say wrong door, meaning he didn't come from behind the podium like most coaches or <laughs> Brandon Mean does. He walked through the media door that we walked through. Now, so that our listeners know the way it's configured, it's fine. It's all connected. He just walked down a hallway to get through that door instead of walking through the back of the podium where there's another set of doors he can walk through. But I felt it interesting because here's a new, he's not a new coach. He's been here, but he's in a new role. And we joked like, man, the guy already walked through the wrong door, right? But then he got there and he said, hey, I was told if I did it from here, you guys couldn't record it. That's why I want to, you know, (laughs) you couldn't air it. You know, it was kind of funny. He did it tongue in cheek. And then he said, before I do anything, in all seriousness, he said, I want to, I want to introduce myself to everyone and say hello. And he walked through the room, Matt. And he said hi, and he shook hands with every single media member in the room and said hello. And I just thought that was classy, and I thought that he did that for his his own know, you know knowledge to know who we are and to help us feel more comfortable with him as well. I cannot pretend like I have the absolute greatest understanding of the coaching staff or how everything works, but I've known Matt Smiley just – from a distance for the last couple of years, because back in 2019, when we were still in the locker room, so this was pre-COVID, I remember having a conversation with Josh Allen about The Office, and he's joked about The Office a ton of different times, kind of on the record, and he's like, I love The Office, I love it, it's my favorite show. So I remember asking him once, I was like, is there anybody else in the locker room who you think likes the show, The Office, more than you? And he said, there's two people who say they do, and it's Reed Ferguson, and it's Matt Smiley, the assistant special teams coach. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. So then I was like, you know what? We should do an office quiz. It would be a really fun story. And I'll have Matt Smiley basically moderate the conversation. And it was Josh versus Reed. And from that point on, Smiley was all in on the idea. He was like writing down questions. He's like, no, wow. these might, he's like, these might be a little too hard. Like some of the questions for anybody who's out there listening, one of the questions was like, what's Pam's favorite flavor yogurt in the office? And I was like, dude, I have not a clue. Why would anybody know that? And he's like, oh, it's mixed berry. I think I remember him saying, he's like, maybe that's a little bit too deep of a cut. And we put together a list and we sat there and we did the quiz back and forth. So I was like, wow, this guy's really, really cool. And then I remember talking to some of the other special teams guys at the time. And they're like, oh, we love that dude. He's like, so chill. He's the perfect coach. He's the perfect players coach. So I think he's going to thrive in the role because he's an office guy. And if you like the office, Josh absolutely gives you the endorsement, but two, because he's relatable, he's young, he's full of energy. He's very, very fun. And I think he's going to fit in well there. Yeah. And the other thing he did, he had a few like one liners while we were talking, like John Morrow <laughs> of the AP asked him, John Morrow said something to the effect of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, and then he asked a question and Matthew Smiley looked at him and said, sounds like you're trying to put words in my mouth. And he laughed. 
So that was kind of funny. Like he gave us a little bit as we give him and he was very engaging. Um, I enjoyed speaking with him. We talked a lot about just, you know, the Matt Ariza situation. He's coming in not only as a puncher, but as a holder. I thought it was fascinating. A little insight he gave Matt. He said, what they do is they actually have a ground level camera that they use and for holding and they go frame by frame to slow it down, to see exactly how you're catching it, where you're placing it, the angle of the ball, everything. It's amazing the detail that they have and how he explained that. I thought that was super cool. He also talked about how he said, I asked him a specific question about, I've always been fascinated, Matt, with how does a special teams coordinator go about those relationships with the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach when it comes to, hey, I need this guy on special teams. Like, mm -hmm. I know you like to use him on offense, but I need him. And they want to use him on, on offense or defense, but he plays special teams. How does all that work? His quote was, and let me pull this up. I thought this was a really good quote. He said, I've always believed that the, the good teams, um, here it is, the real good teams are the ones that know how to share players on special teams who can play offense and defense and vice versa. That coordination with other coaches is important. This guy, to me, screams Sean McDermott DNA as a coach mm -hmm. with how he communicates and how he understands his role and where he fits into everything. That's a very interesting, and this is going to go on a little tangent here, but now my, the wheels in the head are starting to spin. Who is the most significant player on special teams that it's now the offense or the defense? Is it Saran Neal? Actually, I think, it, I think it might be Jordan Poyer because he's been playing on the You're kickoff right. teams for the last few years. You're right. I, I think I overlook it because Jordan is that caliber of player, that caliber. You don't think of him when you think of special teams. But, but if you're talking like a guy who yes. plays all of the special teams, um, probably Saran Nealby. I mean, he doesn't get a lot of time on, on defense, but you know, no, I just, don't know. It's kind of like when I think of the specialists, like the true specialists, right. not talking about like punter, kicker, holder. I think of when I think of the Bills special teams, I think of Saran Neal, I think of Tyler Medikevich, and I think of Taiwan Jones. It's probably the first yep. three guys that I'm like, those are the dudes they really lean on on special teams. Like those guys make teams because of how good they are on special teams. And yeah, they can fill in at nickel, they can fill in at corner, they can fill in at linebacker, running back, whatever it happens to be. But yeah, no, that's interesting. And I think that's probably the right approach to have because there does need to be give and take. And I know. Oh, I know people are like, okay, special teams, let's not get carried away here. It can make a difference. I mean, like we've talked about 13 seconds for a long, long time, and that started on special teams. We might not be having that conversation if that didn't go out differently. So it can certainly have an impact on the game. He was asked about 13 seconds, and, you know, we, I, we understand that, you know, there's been one consistent message about that since the season ended, and that is basically that they're not going to – give you all of the details and exactly how it went down and you know they're moving on and they've turned the page of course he did all of that but what he was specifically asked was was there a lack of communication and he kind of paused and he thought about it and I, I think he was thinking about you know the right way to answer it and he said they didn't execute and anytime you don't execute that means there's also a lack of communication so that was a really good way of kind mm -hmm. of answering the question pretty appropriately without giving too much, but also not saying I'm not answering your question, if you if you know what I mean. Sometimes by not directly answering a question, yes. you answer a question. 
And when I saw that quote and I heard it, I was like, okay, I know what you're trying to say. I know you can't say it. I understand that. But thank you, at least for teasing us a little bit with the answer. Yeah, he um, he was really good. I enjoyed hearing from uh, Matthew Smiley today. Uh, let me just go through my notes if there was anything else that he said here, uh, because he he was he was very good about you know like all this kind of stuff. Um, his you know he he came up as you mentioned a little while ago as a assistant mm-hmm. assistant special teams coach. He's now in his role. The Bills have a new assistant special teams coach. His name is Corey Harkey. Corey Harkey now assumes on the role that Matthew Smiley had, and. Matthew was talking very glowingly about what he brings to the table. He's a former tight end who played a lot of special teams. He played with the Rams. Did you know Matthew Bove? Corey Harkey's dad is the bullpen coach for the New York Yankees. I did not know that. I don't, I'm not allowed to. The fact that we have this podcast together is just a miracle within itself. I do. I can't associate with any Yankee stuff. Oh my gosh. Oh Oh my God. No, I did not know that. And now I'm going to have to block. Now I'm going to like, not like the guy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, he is his dad. So he comes from a very athletic family. His dad was a major league baseball player and now he's the bullpen coach for the New York Yankees and Corey Harkey is on staff. And, you know, Matthew was very, uh, talk glowingly about him and, um, you know, when he got up there, he thanked people in his life. He said 20 years this year for him and his wife, Marissa. Oh, good uh, for him. Yeah, that they that he talked about a little bit. So it was just good to hear from Matthew Smiley and just how everything, you know, fits in his world and how appreciative he is of the opportunity. We also heard from Leslie Frazier today, and he was also asked about 13 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, of course, same consistent messaging, Matt. But what you got from him was more of the – you know, we've moved on, we've turned the page and you have to be able to compartmentalize it. You don't, you know, you hit it, you, you, you think about it, you put it in its proper spot, but you don't dwell on it and you have to know what happened and you have, but, but that's what you do. You flush it and you go over it. I don't think that anybody we've ever heard from says you have to forget about it ever. Like meaning like it never happened. Forget about it. I think what they're saying is, yeah, you recognize it happened and you learn from it and then you don't dwell on it because that can, that can linger into your next play in your next game. I think that's healthy too. I think we're now at the point we're sitting here in June. Yes, learn from it, address it. That should have happened a long, long time ago. Now it's how do we make sure that that never happens again? Or better yet, how do we make sure that we're never in a position where that even comes up again, where we don't have to worry about something like that again? And I think Leslie Frazier's experience comes into play here too. I know how it all played out. We can't change that. They can't change that. Moving forward, I think I truly do believe that this coaching staff has learned from that mistake, and we won't know. We, we honestly might never know. You know what I mean? Like it's such a random, small, like it's a, such a weird kind of specific example. So we might never find out if they've a hundred percent learned from it. But I think that they have, based off of just the things that they've said. And I know everybody's been very tight-lipped about it, and I understand why. I don't necessarily agree with that approach. But now that we're in June and we're talking about next season, learn from it, make sure it never happens again, and make sure that if it does happen again, you're ready for every possible scenario. I know you'd probably agree with me when I say that, you know, Leslie, just such a class act, but you know, he, he's very honest with us. I think Leslie mm-hmm. gives us a nice, honest approach and good answers. And he's very thoughtful. And, you know, I think he respects the job that we do and he wants to give us the best answer possible without giving the secret to the sauce and things like mm-hmm. that. And one of the really, I thought, interesting, honest answers he gave today was on Tremaine Edmonds. 
he said Tremaine needs to make more splash plays. Yep. And Matt, we've said that. Fans have said that. We all recognize Tremaine Edmonds needs to make more splash plays. I asked Tremaine after practice about that comment and how do you make more splash plays? And he said, trusting what you're seeing, trusting what you're doing, all this putting yourself in a position to do it. But I do think that's a very, very big deal for Tremaine Edmonds as he enters the final year of his contract. And it's funny because I think that Tremaine Edmonds has become such a polarizing player that there's almost nobody in the middle, but maybe we should be in the middle because that seems to make the most sense. You either think that Tremaine Edmonds is going to be a really, really, really good NFL linebacker for a long time. And you're like, he's been playing for four years. This is his fit. Like he's still 23, 24 years old, whatever he is. And then you've got the other side. That's like, this guy's not very good. Why are they still holding on to him? Why did they exercise the fifth-year option? I am always of the belief in almost every scenario, but especially in this one, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Tremaine Edmonds is a good NFL player who makes nice plays occasionally. He needs to make more of those plays to really solidify himself as somebody who probably deserves the type of contract that he is going to get, whether that's from the Bills or whether that's from another team. When you look at his counterpart, they play very different roles on the defense. You can't say Matt Milano needs to make more splash plays because it feels like every game that dude does it. Even the safeties with Micah and Jordan and Taron Johnson, like in the big moments, those guys seem to make big plays. We can't say the same about Tremaine. You can still think that he's a valuable piece to the defense that like I do, but you can also expect more from him. It's okay to be on both sides here. You don't have to pick a side and live and die by that side. You can say, I think he's good, but I think he can be better. Like th- That's okay, everybody. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, we'll see where it goes with him because he is in the final year of his deal, which brings us to our next topic for the uh, podcast to talk about. All right, Matt, we just discussed Tremaine Edmonds going into the final year of his deal. So is Dawson Knox. Uh-huh. Jordan Poyer, we know that he has his contract situation lingering out there. You now have Ed Oliver going into the fourth year of a deal that did they did pick up the fifth-year option. Aaron Donald <laughs> of the L.A. Rams signed a three-year, $95 million contract tweak, if you will, of his contract. Ugh. He is a unicorn. I get it. Yes. But that is a monster deal for that particular position, and we all know how this works with positions. Yes, somebody sets the market. I'm not suggesting Ed Oliver is going to get more than Aaron Donald, but – Now you have to start thinking about where it goes with that Oliver and how you navigate Tremaine Edmonds, Dawson Knox, Jordan Poyer, and others who will be coming up. Well, let's rank them. And I'll give you my rankings first, and then we'll take your rankings. So let's put the four of them in the same category as players who the Bills probably want to keep, but also might not be able to afford all four. I would say this ranking for our what we would do or what we think the Bills would do. Let's say what we would do, not what we think the Bills would do. What we would do, if we were branded being how we would do it, I'll say let's list the four, and I would say in order of, ooh, this is tough to do because you're going to be saying a player is four that is a really good player. I'm going to say that the most important player of the four guys that we mentioned to re-sign is Ed Oliver. He's my number one. Number two is Dawson Knox. Number three is Tremaine Edmonds. Number four is Jordan Poyer. I think Jordan Poyer is a better player than Tremaine Edmonds. 
and maybe and actually probably a better player than Dawson Knox. But when you talk about the money that that guy probably wants and you talk about his age, I don't know if they're going to want to spend a long-term contract on him. I think if you could keep all four, you certainly would like to do that. But I would say Ed Oliver is the biggest priority, followed by Dawson Knox. Tremaine Edmonds, just based off of the way that they talk about him, I know how polarizing he is, but every time they talk about Tremaine, they make it feel like he's the leader of the defense. He's the face of that side of the ball. And Jordan Poyer is the same way. It's just this is something we've been talking about for a long time here. I think Jordan Poyer is a damn good player. I think if the Bills could sign him for like two or three more years, then they should do it. I just think he probably wants an even longer contract than that. So if this is how we would do it, Right, not mm-hmm. what we think the Bills would. Right, I would agree with you that Ad Oliver would be number one, um, because I just think that he's very he's special, he's unique, he's a unique talent. Um, I think Dawson Knox should be number two because of what he means to Josh Allen in the offense. Number three, Jordan Poirier, simply because of his age. Right, mm-hmm. I, I think that's you know what you have to take into account here. And then number four, Tremaine Edmonds. I think he's much more replaceable than anyone on this list. I think they have a couple of linebackers like a Tyrell Dodson, another special teams guy we didn't talk about before about yeah. how important he is because he can play both, you know, Mike and Will. But man, what are we doing here? Like this is like Yahtzee. Just shake this stuff up and roll it out and see what number it lands on, right? Because yeah. I could I could put all these in different orders. Because I'm gonna say this, Matt. I think it's gonna be challenging to keep out Oliver. I think Ed Oliver's gonna want mega money based yeah, on what Aaron Donald got. And to be quite honest with you, do you see the Bills playing a, a paying a guy? It's a rotation what they use on the defensive mm-hmm. line. As good as he is, could they justify paying what could amount to like quarterback money essentially for Ed Oliver? I just can't see it. And I think Dawson Knox is not he's gonna he's gonna make some money, but tight end is yeah. not wide receiver in the it, when it comes to contracts. David Njoku, yes, he got a really nice deal. What are we talking about for Dawson Knox? I think you could afford. I think you could pay Knox and Poyer together what Ed Oliver might want to cost by himself, and that's why I think eventually. Ed Oliver could be la- the odd man out, but even though that's three seasons down the road, yeah. because he has two left on his deal. Yeah, that's a good point, and it's funny because as we listed those four guys, I think the most likely to be here long-term or at least sign a next contract is Dawson Knox. Right. I, that, I don't really. know. You know, I just feel like he is such a perfect fit for the Bills offense, and it really does kind of fit the whole grassroots, like draft, develop, sign. I think that he's going to be here for a long time. I think the David Njoku contract was an overpay, but I feel like that's the way that things are trending. I think that if you could sign Dawson Knox to a similar contract, yeah, it's a lot of money, but I also think the Bills would probably be interested in that. And you're right. I mean, Ed Oliver's definitely not going to get Aaron Donald money or anything even close to it, but he's going to want a lot of money. The Bills might luck out because Ed Oliver's just flatline stats aren't super impressive, but his play on the field is. So we know how important he is. He knows how important he is. But if you just looked up his football reference page and you're like, oh, like this is how many sacks he had. This is how many tackles he had. Why are we talking about this much money for that guy? That might ultimately benefit the Bills because the stats don't jump off the page, but his presence certainly does. And yeah, the Jordan Poyer one strictly comes down to you made a very good point though. You I almost feel like I need to switch my list because of the point you made. Like you can certainly go out into a draft and find a linebacker and be like, okay, we're gonna plug that guy in and we're gonna be okay. Jordan Poyer has meant so much to the team. So I almost feel like your list is better than my list. 
Well, look, I mean, Jordan Boyer has meant so much, but part of that is having Micah Hyde next to him as well, right? And Micah Hyde mm-hmm. has two years left. He's the only all first team all pro that, you know, on the entire team, Jordan Boyer. Uh, Micah Hyde made second team all pro. This is going to be tough. And then look, after this season, Gabriel Davis can start renegotiating if he wants to be oh, after his third year. I mean, I there are going to be some tough decisions coming up. Devin Singletary is going into the last year of his deal, not suggesting they need to go out and pay him necessarily. I don't think they eventually will, but you know, there's a lot of decisions. They're going to be coming up for for all of these guys. So, you know, we'll see where, where where it shakes out. Sal Capaccio here, WGR Sports Radio 550. Matt Bove, WKBW Channel 7 Sports Director. It's always game day in Buffalo. Matt, let's wrap up with um, something fun here. I just thought of this. I wanted to ask you. We're playing in the Bills media golf outing on Wednesday. <laughs> so by the time people hear this, this might already be over. We don't know, right? Um, the Bills started this back in, I think the first year was 2018. It's the first year they did it. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, it okay. feels like it's been a, it's been a couple of years for sure. 18 and then 19, and then we didn't mm-hmm. do it because of the pandemic in 20 or 21. So it'll be the third year. And what happens is Bill's it's PR start, basically it's seven, has Yeah, 17 or 18 was the first year. One of those two. I don't do know it for the sure. First but, year that, that McDermott was here. I don't remember them doing it the first year they were here. That's why. I thought it was 18. So I only remember playing with David Cully and Terrence Gray in my group. That's why I say that. I don't remember. Maybe there was somebody else I played with and I can't remember. But so let's say this. I mean, you know what? Might have been 17. I think I did. I think I did play in seven. Did, did I play? Dave Wheat's no longer with the organization. I think I might have played with them. All right. So here's the point I'm making. They do this. It's it's basically, hey, media, we want to build relationships here. You play golf in a foursome with people from the organization, everyone from Brandon Bean to Sean McDermott and this year and coaches and front office this year, it's players as well. Apparently players are playing in this. So Matt Bove, I am taking Josh Allen off the table. (laughs) Okay. I don't care if the guy, if you don't know anything about the guy's golf game, who would be the most fun player to play with on the bills roster for you for 18 holes of golf for four hours. Tredavious white. But I have to take the injury yeah. aside. Like I, he yeah, probably then, can't golf. No. But Tre'Davious White, it's okay. Tre'Davious White for five minutes is the most entertaining human yes. on the planet. Let alone I for four it. and a half hours. I can't imagine some of the stories that he would say or some of the jokes that he would make. Some of my favorite memories in the locker room are directly tied to Tredavious White and his antics that he would pull. And it wasn't even stuff with the camera around. Like when the camera's around, he knew how to turn it on and he knew how to have a good time, whether it was, you know, sticking a hockey stick into the face of that Oliver or a glove and pretending that it was a microphone. But just some of the things that that guy would say are just so unbelievably funny. So from a strictly entertainment standpoint, I would say Tredavious White, is very high on the list. From a golf standpoint, I think Jordan Poyer is probably pretty high because he is now a single-digit player, and he has poured a ton of time and effort into his golf game, and for good reason. That's been very well documented. He talked about how he was drinking every single night after the wild card lost to Houston and how golf really helped save his life because it found him an escape when it wasn't football season that he could pour his passion into. So he's very clearly one of the better golfers on the team. Um I think the perfect blend, this isn't a player, but Brandon Bean's a good golfer. Brandon Bean will never talk about it like with a camera on because he's a pretty humble guy. Brandon Bean's a really good player. So he's probably entertaining to play with as well, to be quite honest with you. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that. Yeah, Brandon's a fun guy. Brandon knows how to 
be the professional that he is, be the general manager of the team, but he also knows how to, you know, relax and yes. be, you know, just another one of the guys on the golf course. Um, on your note of how I think Tredavious is a great answer. I think the same note, I might choose Isaiah McKenzie. Oh, that's such a good one, too. Right? Those are the two. I mean, those are two, neck and neck, right? <laughs> You'd have to have so much fun with Isaiah on the course. He'd have me dying and laughing. You know, uh, I thought about a guy like Jordan Phillips because I think like he'd have his shirt off and, you know, he'd be, he'd be like, I, one time, like he might hit one shot and we'd be, throwing high fives and then I might make a bad shot. He might want to beat me up. I really don't know what to get from him. Like, so that'd be pretty cool. Um, I think you're right. To add on, to add on to what you said. Yeah. Yeah. To to add on to what you said, I think if you can get Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis, then it's, Uh, that's the winner. That's the home run because like, I know the bills have posted videos and stuff over the years of those two going back and forth at it. They are so entertaining when you put them together, like they, act like they can't stand each other, but they're ultimately just like two of the best friends ever. I did a story with Gabriel Davis. I was down at his house in Florida in the off season. And at a couple different points in the day, he called Isaiah McKenzie and it was, he was just lighting him up. He was like, Isaiah, we're out here working out today. He's like, I'm sure you're probably just eating Chick-fil-A and playing Xbox. He's like, I'm working to get better because I haven't signed my next contract yet, but it's nice to see that you've mailed it in now that you've got a new contract and stuff. And one of my favorite things was I asked Gabe, I was like, who has the best hands on the team? And he was like, every person on this team would try and say that they've got the best hands. I think I have the best hands. Isaiah would tell you that he does, but there's a reason he never gets thrown the ball. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. Wow. I, can't, I was like, what a savage comment. But yeah, that's the relationship that they have. Throwing them under the bus. Yeah, there's some really good good characters. I think that would be really fun to play golf with, no doubt about that. We also, by the way, uh, a couple of us in the media, when you weren't there, watch him when you would have been involved in this conversation. I'm sure Matt, we talked about who we'd least like to play with, but I'm not going to reveal any names here on this <laughs> podcast on who would be the not most fun person to play with on the Buffalo bills. Maybe we'll do that someday, but in the meantime, yeah, for sure. thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on it's always game day in Buffalo. Um, Matt, tell everybody what you got going on over at channel seven, WKBW. So every night you can catch us five, six, 11 o'clock. Always on WKBW.com. Got a lot of different things in the works right now, getting ready for mandatory minicamp like we all are. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break from football, and then it's going to just be, you know, all in on training camp once we get to July. I'm literally jumping off this recording and jumping on with Shopin' the Bulldog because that's the life right now, right? You just got to tell everybody what's going on, uh, you know, at, tra- at uh, minicamp or OTAs and things like that. So you can hear me on WGR 550 weekdays, of course. Follow me at on Twitter at Sal sports and all the coverage that you want there. But more importantly, subscribe, download this podcast, subscribe to it, please throw us a nice rating. We'd love it. A nice review. We'd love that as well. We appreciate everybody. It's Apple iTunes. It's Spotify. It's Google podcasts, wherever you pod you'll find it's always game day in Buffalo, Matt till next time, buddy, have a uh, great few days, great week. And we'll catch up with everybody and have a new episode out soon.